0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Galatians chapter number 3 for our text reading here this morning. The book of Galatians chapter number 3 for our text reading. We're currently in a series of messages that we've entitled, Help! I need to change. And, and I think if we were to all to be transparent with each other, we've all had seasons in our lives where there was something we wanted to change. If you're like me, then you've had seasons in your life where you've made some New Year's resolutions. Anybody ever done something like that? Come January, you make a New Year's resolution, something you want to change, some habit that you want to overcome. And, and most of us have things in our life that we would like to see change. Some of us maybe have some unhealthy eating habits that we would like to see changed maybe there would be others and you'd want to change something about your health or something about maybe uh, a aspect of your personality and uh, the reality is this, if, if we were to be honest, all of us have some areas where we'd like to change and, and, and throughout the world and in society, people want to change everything from maybe an addiction to substance abuse or overspending or materialism, maybe it's just something like gluttony or overeating and it just, all of us tend to have some area where if, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would say, I, I'd really like to change this about myself. And, and so that 's what this series is all about we are we are going to the Bible and we're looking at what the Bible says about how change actually occurs. Now Now, what we've been doing for a few weeks is we've been noticing that there are a lot of common misconceptions about how change actually takes place. And, and last week we, we spent an entire service looking at the reality that, that it's easy to begin to believe that just because I'm changing my thinking on something or just because I, I learned something new that that equates with real lasting change And and this happens more in religious organizations. This we, we don't believe this when it comes to the secular, if I can call it that, parts of our lives. We understand that just reading a book on fitness doesn't make us fit, or just reading a book on dieting makes us, you know, healthy. We understand that in this realm. But in the church world, we, we tend to get thinking that just because we know something from the Bible, therefore we're spiritually mature, and we took some time to kind of debunk that common misconception, and, and we looked at the fact that spiritual maturity is not not just based on what you know. And and that's kind of the whole premise of last week's sermon. So this week, we're going to continue this idea, and we're going to look at a few more common misconceptions that people have about spiritual maturity. So last week, we looked at spiritual maturity is not just based on what you know, and this week, we're going to speak on this subject of uh, spiritual maturity is not just based on what you do, okay? Spiritual maturity is not just based on what you do. Do. Now, of all the sermons in this series that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, I am highly convinced that this sermon has the biggest potential to be misunderstood. So I'm going to tell you this up front. In fact, a few moments ago, I was with some of our men, and we like to get together for a time of prayer, and I said to them, I said, just be praying because I don't want this message to be misunderstood. There is something so deep in church culture, something so deeply rooted in the way we think that what we do is somehow equated, it somehow creates spiritual maturity. And and we're really going to wrestle through this bit by bit, step by step. We're going to go to a whole lot of scripture today. So I need to get get ready for this, all right? Because what we're going to look at, just like spiritual maturity is not based on what we know, Spiritual maturity is also not just about what we do. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. There are people in this very room and you are doing all the right things. In your parenting, you're, you're doing the right things. In your marriage, you're doing the right things. In your relationships, you're doing the right things. In your spiritual walk, I read my Bible, I pray. You're doing the right things. But what we're going to begin to unpack here today is simply this. That spiritual maturity is not just based on what we do. Now, let me caveat this. I need you to listen. People who are spiritually mature are going to do the right things. But just because you're doing the right things doesn't necessarily mean you're spiritually mature, all right? If you have questions, I would love to answer those questions afterwards. As we go through this series and you're like, this didn't make sense, email me. Get me in the lobby. I want to I talk with you about this. But this, this series is really a paradigm shifting series. And I really want us to, to consider what God has to say about how change actually happens. Can I say this? If I were to define this sermon in one word, it's the word counterintuitive. It's going to go against a lot of your preconceived ideas about how the Christian life works. And we're just going to go through the Bible and talk about. It. Inside your service program, uh, you'll find an outline that you can use to follow along through the passage. Hope it'll be a help to you as we study the Bible together this morning. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand for God's word as we read our text. We're going to read from the book of Galatians. The apostle Paul wrote to the church at Galatia and he was, he was addressing some common misconceptions that the church of Galatia had. You see, they, they, they were saved... But there was, some, there was some errors slipping into their church. And some of these errors are a lot of the same errors that are slipping into churches today in the 21st century. And, and in some degree slipping into our church. In our thinking. In our way of viewing things. And so we're going to allow the Apostle Paul to speak to us in our thinking. And the way we view things. And here's what he says. I'm going to give you a snapshot and then we're going to really unpack this passage together as we go through the series. He starts in verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Who's fooled you? Notice verse 3. Are ye so foolish? So the apostle Paul says, Church... There, there's some foolishness that's existing here. There's something. Well, who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Who's gotten you to think differently than what I taught you? And he says, "This. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit." And what we're going to do is we unpack this. He's saying here, when you got saved, your faith began with the Spirit of God doing something in you, doing something through you. It was not works of your own righteousness, it was His grace, it was His strength by faith, appropriating, giving you salvation. He says, That which you have begun in the Spirit, notice this, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Who's bewitched you? You were saved by grace through faith. And here what the Apostle Paul is saying is he's addressing uh, some doctrinal problems that were happening at the church of Galatians because they knew that you get saved by grace. It's God's strength. It's his gift to you. You appropriate it by faith. And now the church of Galatians, they were thinking, now in order to be perfect, in order to mature, in order to become spiritually mature, i got to do it in the flesh. I can do this. You see, the Galatian error had two forms. And I'm going to let you sit down. Two forms. There were two errors that are refuted. In chapters number 1 through chapters number 3, the first error was thinking that obedience to the law was necessary for salvation. That in order to be saved, you had to obey the law. That there were works of righteousness which you could do in order to get saved. I don't think most of us believe that. Most of us. How many of you say, I believe that I am saved by grace through faith? You say, ask me. I believe it's a, it's a gift of God's grace. All, all of us would believe that. Now here's what happened at the church of Galatian. They they were thinking, yes, I am saved by grace, but I am made perfect by my works. If I'm just a good enough parent, if I'm just a good enough husband, a good enough wife, I can, I can, by works of the flesh, I can become a better person. If I'm just a better Christian, if I do this and do that and do those things, I can be made perfect by the flesh. And what we're going to see here is the second error was thinking that a saved believer is made perfect by simply behaving morally. Can I say this? You can be... Perfectly moral you can obey every rule every command every principle and technically not be spiritually mature and that is what we're going to unpack over the next few minutes together shall we have a word of prayer and then by God's grace we're going to dive into this dear heavenly father I pray that you would illuminate, Lord, our hearts and minds and that you would help us to truly see that lasting change requires more than just improving our behavior. And while we believe that spiritual maturity will produce improved behavior, that improving our behavior is not what makes us spiritually mature. Lord, help us to see that it is your grace abiding in your presence, depending on your spirit to do in our hearts what we can't do. And it's out of that is cultivated, Lord, a behavior that truly can honor and glorify you. I pray that you'd give us illumination of heart and mind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So if you want to start taking notes, if you're kind of following along with us here today, you could put this in the introductory part, and that's this. When it comes to spiritual maturity, when it comes to being conformed into the image of Christ, changing into who God wants us to be in our parenting, in our marriage, in our spiritual life, at our workplaces, just in our personality, get this. When it comes to maturity, when it comes to change, notice this. I can't change myself by myself. If you want to put that phrase down, feel free to write it down. I can't change myself by myself. All right? We might say it this way. We can't change ourselves on our own. Have you ever been here before? I mean, have you ever tried to change something about yourself? You wanted to change this, or you wanted to change that, and it it just seemed like maybe you did well for a while, but then after a few weeks or a few months, it felt like you quit. This is why you never want to join a gym in January. It's way too packed. There's too many people there. It's just not a good time. Go Start in in February, alright? February's a good time. Everybody's cleared by then. Why? Because we try to start something, but then after a while we quit. We change for a small Time, but then months go by and we revert back to the same behaviors that we had here before. And see, we see we change this or we change that. And and, and have you ever been here where you try to change one thing and you're doing really well in this one area and you're spending so much time, and you're spending so much air, energy that then there's this other good area and that starts to lack. Have you ever been here before? Like you're, you're pouring your energy and your time and, and resources into this and you're doing pretty well and then over here there's another good area, biblical area, right area and it starts to suffer because you're not pouring energy into it. And and you're not pointing time. And then you run over here. And you try to, in the flesh, in your own strength, try to work at this and make this better. And then, and then this thing starts to kind of diminish a little bit. And you just start going crazy because you're like, how are we supposed to do this thing? How am I supposed to create holistic change to where my, my parenting and my, and my um, marriage and my work and my spiritual life, it's all growing together? That's, that's what we're talking about. The problem that we just described Um, it starts because most people, and, and I've been here before, I'm putting myself in the same boat. Most people equate change as simply a behavioral thing. Most of us do this we think I gotta change and we look at change as simply being something that we have to change in our behavior I'm not a good parent therefore I gotta change something in my behavior when it comes to parenting I'm not a good employee I gotta change something in my behavior about the way I work I'm not a very good Christian I gotta change something about the way I behave in my Christian life and most people equate change as simply a behavioral thing something I change with my actions something I change in my behavior rather than seeing true change and what we're going to see in a moment lasting change as beginning on a heart level that is God wants to change you on a deep heart level he wants to first change your motives what drives you he wants to first change your values what's important to you He wants to first change your attitude, the way you view your world. He wants to first change all those inner, beyond the sea, the root parts of who you are. Because here's what happens. When the Spirit of God is able to change your motives and the Spirit of God is able to change your values, and when the Spirit of God is able to change the way you see your world, when the Spirit of God is able to change your beliefs, the way you process information, the way you, your worldviews, the way you see people around you, you allow God to change you on a deep heart root level, guess what? Behavior like fruit just begins to blossom. As we surrender and allow God to change our heart... And we abide in his, in his presence. And we say, God, I can't. I'm self-righteous. God, I'm trying to do this in my own strength. And we say, God, change me from the inside out. All of a sudden, the behaviors of our life are able to change. Spiritual maturity is not simply behaving morally. Spiritual maturity is not just behaving morally. It is possible to behave perfectly moral and not be growing spiritually mature according to the Bible. This is what we're going to unpack. We have tons of people running around churches today. They're dotting their I's, they're crossing their T's, they're walking the walk and they're talking the talk, but they're not growing spiritually mature because they see spiritual maturity as just a behavioral thing. And so they're right, doing right. But it isn't the Spirit of God and His grace doing right. It's not Christ's life living His life through them. Here's what Galatians says. Notice verse 3. Are you made perfect by the flesh? See, what Paul is saying is you... He said in the church of Galatians, there are those of you who are trying to become perfect. Perfect. You are become, you're trying to become perfect parents you're trying to become perfect church members you're trying to become perfect spouses you're trying to become perfect you know, uh, employees, you're trying to become perfect people and perfectly but you're, but you're doing it in the flesh and in this word flesh in our modern churches means nothing to most of us we all have our own definitions as to what flesh means and basically the way we define it is sin when I'm doing wrong that's what flesh is well how do I know when I'm in the flesh because I'm, doing Im-, I'm not being moral that's what flesh is if I'm not being moral then I must be in the flesh no this verse is saying here you're trying to do perfect you're trying to do right you're trying to do good but you're doing it wrong are you are ma- you not saved by your works you are not saved by your behaviors you're not saved by your morality and get this you're not perfected by it either Your good works is as filthy rags before God and in His sight. God calls it self-righteousness. When it's your flesh and your strength and your ability trying to conjure up your moral behaviors, it does no good. It is possible to behave perfectly moral and not be growing spiritually maturity. Because spiritual maturity is much bigger. Spiritual maturity is much broader. Spiritual maturity is much deeper than just your behavior. Now, like I said, I got to caveat this. If you are growing spiritually mature, it will affect your behavior. Don't misunderstand me. But just because you're focusing on your behavior... Just because you're doing better, just because you're a little more upstanding, just because you're a little bit more moral, just because you're doing a little bit better in your parenting, a little bit better in your marriage, or a little bit better, doesn't automatically mean that that is stemming from spiritual maturity. You say, okay, you're really going to have to unpack this one because you're starting to lose me. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to just punch through this. Let me give you a definition of flesh. Flesh is my ability, all right? If you want to write this down, it's my ability to change my outward behavior. The flesh dependence. The fleshly living. It's my ability. If you want to write, this, this is really important. All right, So we've got to write this down. It's my ability. To change my outward behavior. That's what the flesh is. So the apostle Paul is saying to the church at Galatians. Are you made perfect? Are you made mature by the flesh? By trying to change your outward behavior, is that's what's making you perfect? No, you don't have a you don't have just a behavioral problem. You have a heart problem. I know you're saved. The Bible says here you were you begun this thing in the Spirit. You were saved. You were justified by His grace through faith. But now you're trying to be made perfect. You're trying to mature. You're trying to grow by performing by doing all these things at the outside. He says you're foolish. If the if your behavior is not an outflow of spending time in the presence of God and his spirit and Christ living his life through you. The Bible says it's flesh. So how do we know? Here, here's the question. How do I know if it's Christ living his life through me or if it's just me and my flesh? Because you no, know most of us do. We all say it's Christ living through me. <laughs> Why? Because I'm doing the right thing, pastor. That's why. That's why I know it's the Spirit. No, this passage says you can, do, you can do the right in the flesh. You can do right in your own strength. You can morally behave without the Spirit of God. You say, prove it to me. There are cults all over America that do it. Tons of cults morally behaving, raising nice, upstanding little families. Wonderful little marriages. Hard working at work. It is not Christ doing it through them. Right. We could go from cult to cult, from religion to religion. Many that are morally upstanding citizens. But it's the flesh. So how do we, how do we be not deceived? How do we, how do we as believers... Alright, how do we know whether it's Christ living his life through me or if it's flesh dependence? You say, well, how? Do... No, pastor, I'm not because, because I'm, I'm, filled with, I'm filled with Christ. I say, how do you know you're filled with Christ? Because I'm doing right. Do you... I'm trying... I want you to get this. Just because you're doing right doesn't mean you're filled with the Spirit. No, it retroactively validates because I'm doing right, it retroactively validates everything that got me there. No. Just because you landed at a moral behavioral position doesn't retroactively validate everything that got you there. It doesn't retro- retroactively validate your motives. It doesn't retroactively validate your, uh, your values. It doesn't retroactively validate your belief system. It doesn't retroactively validate what got you to that place. See, the Pharisees, they were amazing when it came to doing the right things. And Jesus looked at them and said, on the outside, you're beautiful. You're awesome. But on the inside, you're like dead man's bones. Who was Jesus the harshest to? The unrighteous or the self-righteous? It's easy to show somebody outside the church, relatively easy, that they're unrighteous. It's very difficult to show a church that they're being self-righteous. Very difficult. In fact, I find it's harder to show somebody and to reveal to myself that I'm being self-righteous than to reveal somebody who's unrighteous. You go down the streets and you go to some, you know, some kind of, you know, checkered part of town or some kind of thing like that and you tell hey you know you're a sinner they're going to be like yeah dude I totally know I'm a sinner I'm a bad person it's not too hard to convince somebody they're unrighteous try to convince somebody sitting in the average church pew that they're being self-righteous like world war (laughs) three I get myself righteous. look pastor look what I'm doing as if what somebody does totally retroactively validates everything that got them there The motives, the values, the behaviors, the beliefs, the attitudes. And like that stuff's all okay because look at where the end justifies the means. (laughs) I arrived. No. What we're going to see from this passage is there are damning effects to behaving morally in the flesh. It's horrible. This is why Jesus was so harsh on the Pharisees and the legalists because you've got it together on the outside but the inside you're as dead man's bone that's why why the apostle Paul said oh foolish Galatians who's bewitched you why are you being deceived I taught you the truth I showed you that salvation was by grace his strength by faith appropriating belief dependence upon him why are you now being bewitched into thinking false fables that somehow you can be perfected that somehow you can be made more righteous that somehow you can self improve because you just try a little harder and he says here are you now it's a rhetorical question are you you started this thing in the spirit by his grace are you now made perfect are you become spiritually mature in your own strength in your own flesh in your own way rhetorical but the answer is no but how do we know because self-righteousness is so deceptive I, i i get deceived over and over and over again by my deceptive heart regularly self-righteousness seeps in and it takes somebody or it takes some person or it takes God's word to reveal and open my eyes and say wow this is ugly this is really ugly and yeah on the outside we've got it together but what got me here, the motives, the values the drives, the attitudes, the beliefs that got me, it's ugly and so Paul to the church of Galatia addresses this so let me let me say this all right just changing your behavior won't create lasting change in your life just changing your behavior won't create lasting change in your life why works don't work for salvation right amen okay works don't work for salvation It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Can I say this? Works don't work for sanctification. Works don't work for spiritual maturity. Works don't work for just kind of behavioral modification. We need something more than works to make us... To that perfection. And this was the, the error of the Galatians. The Galatians said we get saved. We can get saved by works. But it was also that we can be made perfect by our works. By our behavior. By the way we live. And Paul is going to say no. So let's dive into it. What are the... Uh, this morning we're going to look at three deficiencies of attempting to change on our own. Okay. We're going to look at three deficiencies or what the Bible refers to as attempting to change in the flesh. It's the word the Bible uses in this passage. The flesh on our own, pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, kind of disciplining our willpower into this thing. We're just going to make this thing happen. It doesn't matter our values. It doesn't matter our motives. Doesn't matter. Just, as long as the change happens, it's all good. As long as there are more behavioral modifications, that's a good thing. And I'm here to say this. It can actually be a bad thing to change your behavior if it's done in the flesh. You say no, absolutely yes. Let's look at it. John chapter number 6 verse 63 It is the spirit that quickeneth This word quickeneth means makes alive It is the spirit that quickeneth The spirit of God that makes alive It's his grace, it's his strength, his spirit That makes us alive The flesh, alright or, or my ability to change myself My outward behavior on my own It says here, the flesh, my ability to change My over on the outward The flesh profiteth What's the next word? Nothing, get this Your ability to change the outward Even if you succeed It's profitless See A lot of us like to think Yeah well cheating is profitless Lying is profitless Adultery is profitless Rebellion is profitless You're right all those things are profitless Because they're of the flesh But can I say this Doing right in the flesh Is also just as profitless doing good in your own strength and your own ability just trying to change the outward on your own it can be just as profitless it's not it's, it, the Bible says it's not good for anything we need more than just behavioral change. We need more. Like the Pharisees, it's not enough that we get it all right on the outside. Jesus says, you need something more. You need your values change. You need your behaviors change. You need your worldviews change. You need your motives change. You need your desires change. You need a change from the inside that will then blossom into behavioral change. Why? Because it's a spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits what? It doesn't profit anything, which leads us to the first deficiency of behavioral modification, and that is this. Only modifying your behavior, only modifying our behavior without allowing Jesus to change our heart is profitless. It is profitless. That's what this verse teaches. It profits nothing. Some of you are trying to, you're going to try to go to work tomorrow in your own flesh, and you're going to try to do good. And you're going to try to do right. And you're going to try to do all the right things. And you're going to find out, why isn't it working? I'm trying to live a good marriage. And I'm tr- God knows I'm trying to be a good spouse. And he knows that I'm trying to be a better husband, a better wife. And try- he knows I'm trying to be a better... Why isn't it working? I'm doing it all right. I'm doing exactly what God told me to do. Maybe... It's profitless because it's in the flesh. I don't understand. God, I've, I have been reading your book upside down. I've read every book, I've gone to every sen- seminar. God, I'm doing exactly what you tell me to do, God. I'm doing it all right, God. You owe me. Why isn't it why isn't it working? Because only modifying your behavior, flesh dependence is profitless not just flesh dependence and sin we know that lying and cheating and adultery we know that's profitless i'm here to say this that raising your family and trying to have a good marriage and be a good employee if it's done in the flesh it's just as profitless now granted there are some social ramifications okay i i'm going to give you that There are are positive social ramifications to some degree about being a good employee in your flesh at work. I'm not going to deny you that there are some social ramifications, but what we're talking about is spiritually. Spiritually before God, it is absolutely profitless. In In the church world, in the spiritual realm, there is no value to it it's pointless and it is profitless it might have some social ramifications in domestically in your home it might have some social ramifications uh, this is why cults and other religions can to some degree be benefited by morality because it does make it does, it does insulate you a little bit from the brokenness of this world so I'm not going to say there are no social ramifications but what I'm saying is that spiritually especially in church world it is absolutely profitless when we got people running around and they're doing all the right things and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing but if they're doing it in the flesh it creates this arrogance and it creates this pride and it creates this judgmental critical spirit and it creates all kind of victim mentality and entitlement mentality and a superiority complex because we're doing it and why isn't it working and it just creates ugliness it's profitless. I want you to see more of this. Zechariah chapter number 4 verse 6 says it this way. It is not by your might nor by power. You can try to do this in yourself. You can use all your might and all your ability and all your strength and all your power. But it's not by your might. It's not by your power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Here's what's happening. There are some marriages in this room, and there are some parentings in this room, and you're doing it all right, and you're wondering why it's not working, and I'm going to tell you one of the reasons, because it's you. You look at the information like we talked about last year, and then you're like, okay, I know information's not enough. I got to do it. And so you begin to do it and do it and do it, and all of a sudden you're doing it. You're like, why isn't it working? Because it's profitless. Because it's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's by His Spirit. You say, Pastor, please tell me what that means. What is, what is the difference between flesh and spirit? That is what this series is going to be all about. That's what we're unpacking over the next few weeks. We are going to go piece by piece by piece, differentiating what is the difference between kind of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, making yourself do something, disciplining yourself into moral behavioral modification and really just allowing the Spirit of God to change your values and to change your heart and to change your motives and and to change your values and change your views. And then all of a sudden when the inside is changed, your behavior, the outward, just blossoms with morality. It happens as you yield to the Spirit. Can I say this? Just being good is not good enough. You say, I'm a good husband. I'm doing it all right. Good. Unfortunately, it's profitless. It's not good enough. You say, I'm a a much better parent than most people here. I'm sure you are. But just being good... Isn't good enough. You say I don't, I'm a better Christian. Than, like, like seriously, Pastor, like I'm a better Christian than like, almost like 99 percent of the people in this room. You probably, you probably are. You're probably hitting all your eyes and dotting all your. I have no doubt that you might be the most morally superior person in this room. I have no doubt of that. But here's what I'm saying: just being good, just being moral, just being good is not good enough. This is what the Bible's teaching. And all of a sudden, there's a self-righteousness that starts to creep in. All of a sudden there's this arrogance, this critical spirit, this judging and comparing one another with each other. Why? Because it's our flesh, we're doing it. Why can't anybody else? I did it, Why can't they? <laughs> look at the marriage I pulled off. Why can't they? Oh Look at the, look at the parenting. Look at, I pulled off. Why can't they? Because you did it. Good for you. Look at the Christian life I pulled off, you know? And there's just this arrogance and this pride and this joylessness and this lack of peace. And it it just all over. Because being good is not good enough. Um, We talked about this. Being kind in the flesh, it's profitless. When we can admit that all our efforts to become better Christians fail to make us better Christians, we are finally in a position to allow God's grace to make us better Christians. You see, I'll say it one more time. When we can admit, when we have the humility to admit that all our efforts to become better Christians fail to make us better Christians, when we get there in the humility of our hearts, we are finally in a position to allow Christ's grace to make us better Christians. Just changing your behavior won't create lasting change in your life. That's what I'm trying to say. It is profitless, the Bible says. It profits nothing. This is what I'm trying to get across. Just doing all the right things. You say, well, I just I believe in the phrase, fake it till you make it. <laughs> right, fake it till you make it. That's awesome. But it'll be profitless. It's profitless. I'm not saying you won't have some social benefits from it. They're probably socially in your office, in a brokerage, it, it might... It might have some social benefits, but spiritually it's profitless. 100% profitless. Okay, now get this. This is where it gets gets crazy. Not only is flesh my ability to change my behavior on the outside, not only is it profitless, but I want you to see this, because if you want to turn over to 2 Corinthians, if you want, to chapter number 3, you're going to see that not only is it profitless, but it gets even uglier than that. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 verse 6. For the letter killeth. Alright. But the spirit giveth life. The letter. What's the letter? Just let's, let's think. Let's put our thinking caps for a moment. What is the letter? What do you mean the letter ki- like, like ours kill? Like R's kill? Q's are out to get me? <laughs> the letter it, in its context. It's talking about the letter of the law. So the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, he's saying, for the letter of the law, it kills. He's talking to Pharisees and legalists and he's saying you're out there and you dot your I's and you cross your T's and you walk the walk and you talk the talk. Your behavior is perfect and everybody knows it. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're saying what you're supposed to say. You're walking the way you're supposed to walk. You're talking the way you're supposed to talk. You stand the way you're supposed to stand and dress the way you're supposed to dress. You only listen to what a good Christian is supposed to listen to. You've got it down. You follow the letter of the law. And here's what the Bible is saying. Just the letter of the law. Just, just behaving morally. Not only is it profitless, here's what this verse is teaching. It actually kills. Just behaving morally and dotting your I's and crossing your T's and you can look at everybody else how they're not doing it. Man, look at them. I'm sure glad I pulled this one off. Can I say this? The letter of the law, just the letter of the law by itself, it, it not only is it profitless, it actually kills. Here, here's what's happening. It is the spirit. It's God's spirit, Christ living through us. It's his grace and his strength as we just literally bask in his presence and say, God, I can't do this again today. I can't be the parent you want me to be. I've tried and i failed. And even when I do, I fail miserably. And when I succeed, I even succeed more miserably. God, I can't. I need your presence. I need your strength. I am, unable. I can't, God, do through me what I can't do it with that spirit of humility with that spirit of grace just letting him to change your heart and your values allowing him to change your motives change your views change your beliefs and God and all of a sudden you're going to see that the spirit gives life the spirit brings joy and peace and faith and love the spirit gives life just being more in the flesh it kills So here's point number two. Are we ready for this? I want you to see this. Number two. Only modifying your behavior with allowing Jesus to change your heart is actually counterproductive. Can I say this? And this is hard for me to say. And I want you to know this. Some of you are trying so hard to have the world's greatest marriage. But if it's in the flesh not only is it pointless and profitless, it's actually counterproductive. You're actually hurting the very thing you're trying to help. And all, you work so hard at trying to create this great marriage and you're making it worse because of your, you're doing it self-righteously you so badly want to be a better parent and so you're dotting your I's you're crossing your T's you're following the letter of the law you have read every book you've been to every seminar you know exactly what a good parent is supposed to do and you do it to a T and can I say that if it's done in the flesh if it's done in your own strength you're actually hurting your children you're hurting them Hurting your marriage. See, I want something big for your guys' marriages. I want something big for your families. I want something big for your children. I want something big for your life, but it's just Modifying your behavior. Just doing what's right. Just dotting the I's, crossing the T's. Just walking the walk and talking the talk. Just morally improving your life. Modifying with your little checklist. Christian, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm just here here to warn you in the flesh. It's actually counterproductive. It is destroying the very thing you're trying to build. Some of us, without even realizing it, we're destroying our marriage, doing everything right. We're literally, like, destroying our families, doing everything right. Because the letter of the law, it kills. If it is not the Spirit of God... You say but pastor it is the spirit of God Because look I'm doing right No we saw in Galatians you can do right And still be in the flesh that's what we're saying see most of us as Christians we think if I'm doing right that means I'm spirit filled if I'm doing morally that means I'm filled with his grace if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing that must mean Jesus is doing it through me here's what we got we got a bunch of Pharisees we got a bunch of legalists running around and because they're doing right they're giving Jesus the credit look Jesus did this look I'm doing everything perfect it's Jesus and Jesus is looking down and saying what in the world just because you give him the credit doesn't mean it's him doing it I'm glad you give him the credit. (laughs) It's kind of cool. But just because you give him the credit doesn't mean it's actually him doing it. This is why Paul was so adamant to the church at Galatia. He's saying, who bewitched you? Who tricked you? You're being so foolish. You know that salvation only comes by grace, his strength, as Christ lives his life. You know this about salvation. What makes you think that now you can continue in the flesh? Are you made perfect? Are you made spiritually mature in your own strength? The rhetorical answer is no. It's counterproductive. And I hate to say this, and I hate to give you negative news. I really do. I don't like it. But there are some people in this room... And you're destroying the the very thing that you so desperately want to improve. And you're sincere about it. You're sincerely trying to read and you're sincerely trying to grow and you're sincerely trying to do your best. You are sincere. And yet you look around and you're like, why is it falling apart? Why is it not working? I'm God. I'm going to church. I'm doing what you're telling me to do. Why does it seem profitless and why does it seem counterproductive? Why does it seem like it's actually making all this worse? Because the letter of the law, it kills. The letter of the law, it destroys. The letter of the law, it makes it worse. See we live in a society that wants to tell you just do what just just behave on the outward <laughs> just do what just just morally improve regularly it all work out i'm telling you according to the bible it's false You need something more than self-discipline. You need something more than a strong intellect. You need something more than just character and discipline and the ability to pull yourself by by your bootstraps and make everybody believe that everything's good. And even if you are, and I'm not even saying you're not pulling it off, I'm saying there are people in this room and you're doing better at it than even I am. I'm getting that. I'm not not trying to say that you're not doing it because you probably are. On the outward, you're doing probably better than I am. And better than others than others. But I'm here to say this. Just because you're doing better doesn't mean it's going to work. Works for salvation don't work. And works for spiritual maturity don't work. Works for your marriage don't work. Works for your parenting don't work. So how... You, you're just saying we can be passive and lazy. We're going to get to this one week at a time. We're going to dive in. We're going to drill into this thing. By the time we're done with this spirit series, we're going to really clarify all these questions that you have in your mind. But before I build something up as to what real change looks like biblically, I must tear down what most of us think spiritual maturity is. It's more, spiritual maturity is more than just what you know. We talked about it last week. It's also more than just what you do. Now, if you're spiritually sure, if God's spirit and God's grace, and God, it's working through you, you're going you're to grow in maturity and morals. You're going to grow morally. I, I believe that. But some of us here are trying to run around and grow morally. As parents, in our marriages, as Christians, we're doing it all right and wondering why it's just not working. And I'm trying to help us with this. Okay? the letter it kills. Uh, You can actually hurt the very things you're trying to help. Some of you are hurting your marriages that you're trying to help. You're hurting the children you're trying to help. You're hurting the grandchildren you're trying to help. You're hurting the boss that you're trying to help. You're hurting the church that you're trying to help. You're hurting your loved ones that you're trying to help. I'm not doubting that you're sincere, I'm not doubting that with the best of your ability, you're doing the best you can. I'm not doubting that. You're you're doing good. I'm just saying this. The letter by itself, just the letter of the law, it kills. Jeremiah 17 verse 5 says says it this way. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. You say, what's he talking about? The next phrase points it out. It says this. And maketh flesh... His arm, okay? Back in biblical times, your arm was a symbol of your strength. Your arm was the symbol of how you got things done. And so God is saying here, hey, you're going to be cursed. Not only is it pointless, not only is it profitless, but literally there's a curse when you make the flesh, you make your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make your life better and behave morally in a more superior way than somebody else. He says, when you make flesh your arm... You're cursed and those whose heart depart from the Lord. Yes, you're doing all the right things. Some of you, you've read more books than you have had spent time just abiding in the presence of the Bible and His Word. And you wonder, why isn't this thing working? Your heart's departed from the Lord. You're still trying to behave. You're still trying to do right. You're still trying to be the good parent and be the good spouse. And it's a noble, noble intention. I commend you for the intention to some degree. But when you, when your heart, all of a sudden, it's been, it's been a while, and you're, you, you have not come before the Lord in a spirit of humility. And you've not told God I can't. And you haven't told God even when I can it's self-righteous. And even when I can it hurts. And even when I can not I fail miserably. And God even when I succeed I succeed more miserably. Because even in my success it's laced with pride. And even in my success it's laced with arrogance. And even when my success it's laced with a judgmental spirit. And even in my success it's laced with a critical attitude. And even in my success It seems to make things worse because it's not the flesh that fixes things. Works don't work. You need the Spirit, grace, and person of Christ to live His life through you. When He's doing that, it'll produce some of these fruits. But don't focus on that. Focus on your heart. Start with the heart. You say, well, let's get practical, Pastor. Talk about the fruit. I promise you I'm going to get there. But let's do this one step at a time. Stick with me through this series. Because the reality is this. Works don't work. And if you don't get this, then everything I say over the next six weeks about how God wants to mature spiritually, you're going to view through a lens of behavioral modification. Looking for little checks that you can do in your life to make it better. To make your family better. To make your marriage better. make your Christian life better. make your church member. You're going to view it through this behavioral modification lens. And you will sabotage the very maturity that you have so... So desire to see happen in your life. And so we got to start with first things first. Modifying your behavior without allowing Jesus to change your heart is counterproductive. It literally hurts the very thing you're trying to help. Oftentimes the most stressed out people, believe me I've been here many times too often. And this is why the Spirit of God so convicts me again and again and again. Oftentimes the most stressed out people are the ones trying to pull off the Christian life in the flesh. Now just because you don't have stress, that's not not the single one indicator that you've got it all perfect. But it is a indicator. It it, It might reveal something. If this is you, if you're stressed out in your Christian life, can I say this? You are probably frustrated with Christianity and the church, and you're looking now for an easy way out. Because for two, three, four, five, ten years, you've been trying to live the Christian life in your flesh, in your own strength, trying to produce a positive Christianity. I'm just—it's—it's—it is so exhausting. I've been there before, and in seasons, I go back to that place. It's exhausting. And it can't be done permanently. And so, if that's you today, you are literally in your heart. You're looking for a way out of this thing, and and your heart will tell you any way out. I'll take it, because you just. And I, I I understand. I agree with you. It is exhausting. The Christian life was not meant to be lived in your own flesh and your own strength. If you're trying to do it, I guarantee you, you are miserable right now. If you are trying to be a parent in your own strength and flesh, you are stressed out as a mom. You're stressed out as a dad. You're just, I mean, you're having thoughts of like, how do I get out of this thing in your jobs, in your church? I'm just saying this, the flesh-driven Christian life is the most exhausting thing in the world. Many of us have been there. This, (laughs) I don't know how this is gonna, some of you are gonna react to this, but I'm just gonna say it anyways, all right? Just because you follow the rules... Doesn't mean you follow Jesus. Just because you follow the rules doesn't mean you follow Jesus. Our churches are filled with Pharisaical legalists who follow all the rules and don't follow Jesus. And it produces so much pride and so much judgment. And so much criticalness. And so much stress and joylessness. Just because you follow the rules. Doesn't automatically mean you follow Jesus. Some people are like. See, I, I must follow Jesus. Look I'm keeping all the rules. Can I? This, this doesn't work that way. There are a lot of cults. That follow all of the Bible rules. I, I don't think I need to start going in. And naming all of them. You know what I'm talking about. Lots of cults that follow all of God's rules. Technically. They're like the Ten Commandments and all that. But they don't follow the. Jesus of the Bible. And unfortunately in our churches there are a lot of people. They follow the rules. They obey. They're morally. All their behavior is right. But they're wrong at the same time. And they don't, they're confused. I don't understand. I'm doing all the right things. I can't be wrong. Yes you can be. You can do right. Wrong. And some of that just, that just blows your mind. I'm saying this again, you can do right, wrong. You can do right in your parenting, wrong. You can do right in your marriage, wrong. You can do right in your relationships, wrong. That is, you can do right in your behavior and do it all to the letter of the law, dotting your I's, crossing your T's, walking your walk and talking your talk. You can do it all right and be 100% wrong. Now, somebody who is allowing the spirit of God and his grace and Christ to live their life through them, I believe they will follow the, the law. They'll follow God's rules. I, I believe that with every ounce of my being. The Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. But I'm also saying this, just because you follow the rules... Just because you do all the right things just perfect does not mean retroactively validating everything before that point. It doesn't retroactively validate your ulterior motives. It doesn't retroactively validate kind of your ugly values. It doesn't automatically retroactively validate everything that got you to this point. You can do right, wrong. Just because we follow the rules doesn't necessarily mean we're following Jesus. So we said, number one, just changing your behavior won't necessarily change your life. Only modifying your behavior without allowing Jesus to change your heart, not only is it pointless and profitless, but secondly, we said we see it's counterproductive. Now let me get really, we're going to get really serious with this now, and then we're going to be done. Number three, Romans chapter number 14 verse 23 gives us one more view of what happens when we do right wrong. Notice what it says. Whatsoever is not of faith whatsoever is not independence upon God whatsoever is not abiding in his presence and saying God I can't you can I am insufficient you are all sufficient when there is not that attitude and when there is not that heart and when there is not that humility and when there is not that spirit when there is not a spirit of dependence and saying God I can't you can when there is not a spirit of abiding in him because you recognize that apart from him you can do nothing when it's not of faith here is what the Bible says not only is it counterproductive and not only is it profitless, but the Bible says, number three, only modifying your behavior without allowing Jesus to change your heart can actually be sin. Get this. This is serious. Sunday school teachers can teach our children doing all the right things and be in sin. We can have choir members singing all the right things in sin. You can parent to the letter of the law and actually be sinning. You can be doing everything you're supposed to be doing in your marriage. And the Bible says it can literally be Sin. Because sin is deeper than just your behavior. Let's get a little theological with this. The Bible says that in sin our mother did what? We were conceived in sin. I'm going to say this. You had a sin problem before you ever rebelled. You had a sin problem before you ever disobeyed. You had a sin problem before you ever lied. You had a sin problem before you ever cheated. Your sin problem is deeper than your behavior. So behaving properly doesn't fix the sin issue. It is now possible to do all the right things wrong. Uh, I'll give you, a, give you a story here. Hebrews eleven six says this. Are you familiar with the verse? Without faith, it is impossible to what? It's impossible to please God. If you are not doing what you're doing, if you're not parenting in a spirit of dependence, in a spirit of faith, the Bible says it doesn't please God and it can be sin. You said I thought, uh, Sin. Now, next week or the week after, we'll talk about how to, what does that look like? How, what, are some, what are some indications of a, of a person, of somebody who's, who's yielded to the Spirit and allowing His grace and Christ to live through him? I promise you, I'm going to get there. We're going to take this thing one step at a time. If the Christian life is not a faith work where you're abiding in his presence regularly and regularly depending upon his all-sufficiency because you know you're insufficient. Get this. If a Christian life is not a faith work sooner or later it'll be a failed work. If your life is not a faith work eventually, don't, not Mike, could it will be a failed work. In that you might succeed I mean you might fail miserably or you might succeed even more miserably. Succeed with arrogance and pride and entitlement mentality, a superiority complex with no humility. You'll succeed more miserably than you could even have failed. Because only modifying your behavior without allowing Jesus to change your, change your heart can actually be sin. One day we're going to stand before God and all of our works are going to be tried by fire, what sort they are, and some will be... Gold, silver, precious stone. Others will be what? Wood, hay, and stubble. Some of your good works will be burned by fire. Because good works alone are not the goal. Jesus is the goal. And it is possible, like we see in the book of Galatians and many other places, it is possible to try to perfect yourself in the flesh. It's, it's possible to try to do better in your own strength. And it's pointless. It's profitless. It's counterproductive. It destroys. And at times it can even very be sin. You say doing right can be sin? Yes. If it's not a work of faith. And this is why we sabotage the very things we're trying to develop. This is why good marriages in Christian churches will sometimes end up in divorce. And this is sometimes while good families and parents who have such sincere desires. This is sometimes why those, why, those, why those families won't all click. They did everything right. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They behaved. They read the books and the seminars. And what happened? And oftentimes what happened was it was counterproductive. They literally destroyed the very good that they were trying to develop. Because they did right, Wrong. How many of you remember the story of the prodigal sons? You know the story I'm talking about? The prodigal sons? There was the unrighteous son. He was so rebellious. Father, give me my inheritance. And then he lived it out with riotous living. And he was unrighteous and wicked and sinful. And all this kind of stuff. He was the unrighteous son. And then he comes back. I I, I prefer to call that story the two prodigals. Because while the younger son was unrighteous... If you read the story, you find that the older son was self-righteous. Dad, look what I did. I obeyed. God, I did what I was, uh, Dad, I did what I was supposed to do. I didn't run from you. I didn't cheat from you. I didn't take your stuff. But why don't you throw me the party? There was self-righteousness an entitlement and mentality that began to sneak up in his heart and his life. He was self-righteous. Unfortunately, in the world we live in, most people outside the church are very unrighteous, and I hate to say it, but many folks inside the church are self-righteous. And I don't say this to condemn you. I don't say this to make you feel bad I I say this so you'll run to the presence of Jesus so you'll abide in his presence and say God the very best I have to offer is self-righteousness, self-reliance God I am broken and I am flawed and I am a failure and God I will either fail miserably or succeed more miserably. God I am insufficient and so I cast my dependence upon your all sufficiency and this is a moment by moment walking in the spirit recognizing you're broken recognizing you're fallen recognizing that but for the grace of God you'd be worse than everybody else that you've you from your lens, and there's a humility, and there's a just a there's a brokenness that you walk through life recognizing. Without Jesus, you're nothing. You can do right, wrong. See, a lot of us, oftentimes, I do right, and I do it wrong. I'm so embarrassed. It breaks me so much to think that many times I do what's right. And I do it wrong. Many of you have experienced me do right, wrong. We've been family long enough. A lot of us have seen you do right, wrong. And we love you. We can forgive you. We can show grace and mercy. Because our love and acceptance and appreciation of you has nothing to do with your performance. We love you because Christ's imputed righteousness is upon you. That is the basis by which I love you. That is the basis by which I accept you. That is the basis of which I approve you. That is why you are loved. Not because of your performance. If you're here today, mark this down. I want you to know this. You are not loved by me because of how you performed. You are loved beca- by me because Jesus loves you. Because he adores you. Because he accepts you. Because he approves of you. And it's in that position that I love you. And I encourage you to go to the throne room of grace and say God, I can't. Yeah, I I succeed and sometimes I fail. When I fail, I fail miserably, but God even when I succeed, I like succeed even more miserably. I get I get critical. And I get judgmental. And I start looking at everybody else who's not doing it right. And everybody else who does it differently. And everybody. And it just builds up a pride. In Rather than going to that person in a spirit of meekness. And like what Matthew talks about. You don't follow the biblical pattern. You just kind of stew about it. <laughs> because if it, was, if, if it was truly the spirit of God. His spirit would lead you to address and engage that person. And in a meek and humble spirit. Say I just noticed this. And I love you. And I'm for you. And I'm, I want the best for you. Because Jesus wants the best for you. Can, can, can we talk about this? Because if Jesus was real, if it was really Christ and it was not just your self-righteousness, it would be handled differently. And we're going to go and we'll start looking at some of the marks of a self-righteous individual from the Bible. What did Jesus say about those people who are self-righteous? Bless God, we don't want an unrighteousness, but... More dangerous in the church than... Most churches are not in danger of unrighteousness. Most churches are in danger of self-righteousness. And it literally sabotages their entire lives. Let's throw this on the screens and we'll wrap this up. Just like good works are not a means to salvation. They are simply marks of salvation. So good works are not the means to spiritual maturity. They are simply the marks of spiritual maturity. The goal is not to focus and obsess with the behavior. If you're going to obsess with something, can I say this? Obsess with your relationship with Jesus. Obsess with allowing him to change your values. Obsess in his presence. Obsess with focusing on him. And allow the fruit, the, the behavior to blossom out of that relationship. Because John 15 says, without me, without my presence, without regularly abiding in me, you can do nothing zilch, nada, it's profitless and pointless, it's counterproductive, you'll destroy and even live in sin while all along you just think you've arrived. And it kills families, it destroys marriages, and it collapses churches. Self-righteousness is the poison of the modern day church, it is the cancer It is a cancer that kills marriages and kills parents and kills churches all under the guise of doing it right. Can I say this? We have Jesus. We have him. So here's the big idea. We must receive spiritual maturity not just try to achieve it. More of us, if, if I were to be honest, I've been here, more of us try to achieve our spiritual maturity as a parent. We try to achieve our spiritual maturity as, as, a, as, a, as a spouse. We try to achieve our spiritual maturity as a Christian. And we spend very, very little time Thank God, I can't. I can't. I never have been and I never, I never will. And humbly before him saying, God, I need your grace. I need your spirit to do through me what I can never do. And then God, when you give me success and when you do it through me, I will not glory in it, but I will glory in you. I'll glory in you. I have failed at this more times than I can possibly think of. And in some degrees, as I was studying for this message, I feel like such a hypocrite preaching this to you because I honestly believe I am probably the chief of sinners when it comes to this reality and I'm not saying this I live with every fiber of my being what I know of me and what I know of you in my own spirit I'm convinced that I need this message more than anybody I'm preaching to right now and I, I mean this I am very much aware of my brokenness when it comes to this reality in my life. I am so flawed. My heart is, there's the self-righteousness that exists and it seems like just about the time I surrender one area of self-righteousness to God, it seems like all of a sudden he reveals another area of self-righteousness. Just about the time that painful surgery is done and God removes another layer of self-righteousness and I'm like, oh, praise God. And like just about the time I'm like recovering from that spiritual surgery, it's like God's spirit points out another area of just self-righteousness. And it's so painful as he removes layer after layer after layer of self-righteousness. And so I say this today, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. I, as a pastor, have failed you in this area. I would hope that you could accept my apologies. I hope you could forgive and show mercy when, even as one of your leaders, I have lived self righteously. And I hope in a spirit of forgiveness all of us would come together and we would say by God's grace when you expose to my heart self-righteousness and flesh dependence and moral behavioral modification that I try to conjure up in the flesh that I will renounce that and run to the throne of grace and together let's grow in grace. You have failed and I have failed. But praise God for his wonderful mercy and grace. And where sin abounds, there much more grace doth abound. His grace is big. We're in this together. And let's say by God's grace, we are not going to define spiritual maturity and and change by simply what happens on the exterior of our lives. But we are going to see that the heart of change happens by what God Does in our hearts and let the fruit and the behavior and the actions flow out of that new reality it's not something we can simply achieve it's something we receive at the throne room of grace shall we pray dear heavenly father